Welcome to Let's Talk Fleet Risk, a podcast for those who manage drivers and their vehicles and want to reduce road risk in their organisation. So welcome to this edition of Let's Talk Fleet Risk. My guest today is Lorna McAteer, who is the Fleet Manager for National Grid. Hello, Lorna. Um, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Simon. It's great to be here. Thank you. Thanks for your time today. Um, now, since we started this podcast, uh, middle of last year, Lorna, you were one of the people that I really wanted to talk to. But before I say why, um, could you just start by giving us a quick overview of the, the size of the fleet you've got, the types of vehicles and what sort of transport movements um, and business driving the staff at National Grid do, please? Yeah, I can do that. So I joined National Grid about two and a half years ago. Um, there's roughly 3,000 vehicles on fleet when I joined, uh, 1,700 company cars, of which when I joined only seven were electric vehicles. And so we've been on a massive transition journey through that. We've got over 1,000 commercials, of which 350 are four by fours. And then more recently, you'd have picked up in the press as well that the begin or partway through last year, we merged with WPD. So in total now, the UK fleet is roughly about 9,000 vehicles, of which there are an awful lot more four by fours now, including a few helicopters. So the transition is actually, it's quite a large fleet now to look through and manage. So, and a big journey through. Fantastic. Now we're publishing this podcast in May 2022. And one of the reasons I wanted to have you on as a guest is that for a while now we've been planning an edition that uh, focused around sustainability and and the driving for better business campaign is going to be promoting a series of resources as as well as case studies of fleets that have made significant reductions in fuel use and emissions Uh, and they might have done that through either reduced mileage more efficient driving electrification of the fleet or maybe a a mix of some of those and and you're one of the best known advocates for um Uh, electric vehicles and reducing emissions and I know that National Grid as a company is aiming for net zero by 2050 but where does your fleet strategy fit into that? So that was one of the first things I did when I joined the company was actually design that fleet strategy Um, and interestingly enough I was pushing the fleet strategy for a 2030 target when actually the legislation was still a 2035 ban on cars and commercials so there were a few challenges around why I was picking that day Um, But I think when you're close enough to the marketplace and you understand what's going on, you can see where the changes are coming in. So that was the first thing I did to get get into the company, understand the legislation, understand where the changes were coming forward, work out where we needed to be. And so I put a plan together for the next 10 years. And within that plan, people have heard me talk about it before. It's kind of knowing what I could control within it. So the four by fours I mentioned to you earlier. I know I can't do anything about those yet. Yes, I can retrofit some, I can experiment with some of the newer makes that are coming out, but there isn't anything really I can do right now for the vast majority of those that I have on fleet. So it's planning them in for a date in 2024 or 2025, knowing when the changes are going to happen. So what I had to do is work with what were the enablers I needed to put in, What were the education programs I needed to put in? You know, that whole communication piece around it. Which vehicles could I tackle immediately? Which vehicles did I need to look at at a later point in time? And just map out for everybody so that we knew exactly when and where certain things were gonna change. And then all I'm doing now as each of the years go by is almost sense checking into that original plan and working out 
am I behind or am I ahead? And actually, is there anything else that I can now do? Because innovations come to market that wasn't there before. Can I change some of my commercial vehicles earlier than I planned to? So there's a whole raft of different things that have gone into that. But the key bits was having the plan in the first place and getting the buy-in from everybody on board for it. So are you, are you trying to replace the vehicles and electrify the fleet in line with your sort of natural vehicle replacement cycle, uh, sort of availability permitting? Absolutely. The one the one thing I kind of identified on is you don't need to get rid of the vehicle straight away. So why bother? Yes, you can pull them in, but actually just follow that replacement cycle. So the whole plan was geared around that. Um, so we mapped out every single replacement of all the vehicle types and some of them have got checkpoints on. So the heavier the vehicle is or the more ancillary equipment it has, you know, those really complex commercial vehicles you have. It's just a checkpoint in time. And it may be that actually we extend that vehicle for another year because a different vehicle is going to come out later so each time i have a replacement we it now triggers a conscious decision on are we replacing are we putting another ice vehicle in or are we extending because we want to do something different uh, and presumably helicopters present a special challenge in their own right i haven't got a clue what i'm doing with those ones yet so that's one of those problems closer to time <laughs> Um, so from a, a driver competence point of view, I, I've not got much experience with, in, with EVs, but I did have a week in one uh, last year as part of a specific campaign we were running. And, it, you know, there's uh, some obvious differences, um, such as what you would check before you go out on a, on a run and the driving characteristics are different with different types of not engine braking, I guess, but battery braking when you, you know, there's, there's characteristics which you wouldn't necessarily expect from being used to a conventional vehicle so how, how does national grid communicate these differences to drivers and and how do you lay, liaise with your colleagues that might be responsible for driver safety and the training requirements i think stories are great aren't they so you've just touched on a whole bunch of things and the, and the one thing that's a very obvious difference they're automatics so the first time i drove an electric vehicle personally was the peugeot ion van over 10 years ago and i nearly stuck my boss's head through the windscreen because i'd never driven an automatic before so down comes that left foot ready to change the clutch and it wasn't me it hit the brake and uh, so you learn from experience and you can then use those stories to relate to people there are differences it's how you get that communication out there, but it's also how you do it that's still normalizing things. There are a lot of things we do already with our ICE vehicles, so the internal combustion engine ones, that don't change even if you're in a v EV. So you're still out there doing your normal driver checks, you're still checking your tires, you're still encouraging people to make sure the windscreen levels are topped up. So you've got all that fluid side of it, what is it, flower I think you use as the acronym. Mm -hmm. So you still have these things that you go out and check. And then all you're doing, and we, to be honest, we had some real challenges because most of our EVs were put into the fleet during COVID, during full lockdown, when we couldn't do a lot of the sharing. So we had to do an awful lot of the driver education through peer-to-peer um, -peer talks, through actually standing outside the vehicle and explaining things as well. So we had to be very careful in what we did. So there was a lot of online things that we tackled because you're right, understanding that regen, you really can't understand it and explain it to someone until they felt it themselves hmm. and that they feel that that vehicle kicks back on them. So it's just trying to work out pretty much with the whole sustainability plan itself. What can you do? When can you do it? Which drivers adapt really, really easily? 
some of the drivers already had EV cars by choice, so an EV van wasn't a problem for them. So how do you identify which are your higher risk drivers, which are your lower risk drivers, and then making sure that each of your education pieces are there? And what we did was a lot of hand-holding to start with, just in case, because it was new to us. Mm. We, it was new for us to educate others, and we weren't quite sure what education how much we needed because you've always got that challenge haven't you somebody tells you they know how to drive so they get quite uppity if you actually want to give them some education on it but it's how you go about that and how you make the most out of these vehicles because the driving style is very different uh, um how, how do you deal with for instance if if there is an incident like a breakdown or a, uh, a collision because I, I seem to be learning things every week I learn something that oh you can't do that on an EV you could, it might be sort of changing a wheel or you can't push the thing off, off, off the road or there's lots of things that you uh, if, unless you've been told you would expect to be able to do certain things and you, you can't with an EV so is that part of that communication process as well? It is but again some of that it's already in our policy anyway because we don't allow people to push the vehicles we don't allow them so they're already trained and it's within the guidelines to you don't change your own tire especially on a motorway you actually call it out and you get someone else to do it and that's no different than for an ev so some of your base policies and that's probably something fleet managers want to check is just double check all your base policies and just reinforce those because you'll find an awful lot of it already covers those nuances between the electric vehicles and if you're using breakdown providers, they know what they can and can't do with the electric vehicles as well. And they're starting to put their provision in. So one of the things I did actually on that is, um, I did it when I was at Royal Mail and we were trying to make sure we do it here. When we know we're doing mass rollouts in certain locations, we actually notify the breakdown provider so that they can also gear up in the same location that you're in to make sure that that provision's there for you. Oh, wow. What I am finding though, they don't break down. Well, that's handy. That's um... <laughs> <laughs> they're far better. You have you have far many so many less mechanical issues with them. They generally don't break down. I suppose there's less less moving parts to go wrong. Is it? It's just a battery. There's less moving parts. People seem to drive them better. Um, they go through all those early phases that you probably found you go through. From how do I do this? Charge and so they're more cautious to start with as well. Um, I know there's a lot of people that go, yeah, but they've got that instant talk. And it's like, well, they have. But after the novelty, people just don't don't use that because they're more concerned with getting from A to B. And it's quieter. So the indirect benefits are people's increased well-being. We are naturally seeing people drive those vehicle better. They're far less stressed out with it. There's less to worry about when you drive them. You turn up and the old fashioned, it's a white man, man, you shouldn't be here, it goes. Um, people are interested in what you're driving and how you're looking after the environment. So your public perception is much better for the drivers as well. So all of those little things when added together make for a much better well-being type of environment as well. And it all comes into how they drive the vehicle. So that, I guess, kind of answers one of the questions that I was going to ask you anyway, which was to ask you whether you'd seen any changes in collision levels with the EVs and whether drivers were more prone to have a collision, maybe as they got used to the differences with the vehicle. But it sounds like you're not seeing that. No, we're not seeing it at all. Um, 
I think it also helps knowing that you can't get a replacement EV, so don't damage it in the first place. <laughs> it's no, we're not. We are seeing drivers naturally look after those vehicles better, so we are seeing less incidents, and they get used to that region. And don't forget, these vehicles come with a lot more safety features as well. Yes, I guess they've got pretty much a full suite of driver of collision avoidance technology on them as a whole, have they? Or yeah, they come with something. So. You know, vans always used to be the poor relation to the cars. To the cars, you've actually got a lot of that tech now coming in. So you've got your blind spot indicators as well. So there's a lot more coming into the vans, just because it's coming with the EV technology. Yeah. Um, one of the about the vans. So one of the primary challenges, it it seems to me, with electric vans has been the reduced load carrying capacity because you've got the great big heavy battery that you've got to lug around with the vehicle as well. So. Uh, I guess there's a tendency that that can then lead to uh, overloading the vehicle because you you can't put so much in it. Has that been a problem with the electric vans you've got on fleet so far? No, because what we did is before we even put the vans in, we did all those assessment of the specifications. We then used it as an opportunity to reassess how you do the job. So I think that's one of the things. What, you, what you're not doing with an EV is you're taking exactly what you used to do before and I need to replicate it. You're actually taking it as an opportunity to say, what can I do differently? So can some of that kit come out? Because when you dig into it, you realize the kit's just ended up in the vehicle over the years and it's become habit and it's something that's just grown. And when you go into it, it's like, you don't need it. So essentially, you know, you find that you've been hoarding stuff that you don't need to hoard. So you just change the way of working. You go back to basics again, you have a look at the vehicle. Um, because we also knew that we couldn't get EVs in the larger size when we first started doing this, we looked at some of those larger size vehicles and we were like, right, what do you need? What are you actually carrying around? And if we put the ladders at the site instead, can you not carry those? Therefore, can you reduce the weight? So there was a lot of work that went into designing specifications first to make sure that everything came in as it should. And I think the the comment you made there about just sort of change the way of working and go, going back to basics is a is a really great lesson for for any fleet because it illustrates the need for constant vigilance and management of what you're doing because so that you don't let bad habits get ingrained or or, or tr adverse trends be become the norm. You you want to keep monitoring everything you're doing and and go back to basics a lot of the time. I would have thought because it it keeps it fresh and it makes sure you everybody involved is on top of their game absolutely and we've done exactly that with the recent um highway code changes as well so the legislation changes of the mobile phones that came in on the 25th of the month last month the um access ways with pedestrians we did a huge campaign internally every, every change that happens gives you an opportunity to go back and re-educate or reinforce some of your key messages that you've already got in place and I know when the mobile phone changes came in everyone's like oh what are we going to do and it's like it's been in our policy for years all we're doing is reinforcing something we've already had in so it becomes an easy journey so you're absolutely right just take every single change as an opportunity to just double check that you're up to speed I mean for example we did we just did it recently so we had the mini fuel crisis you know when we had the driver shortages so we yeah. dusted off the business resilience plans and we suddenly realized that there was no provision in there whatsoever for electric vehicles we had ramped up that fast in the amount of vehicles we had on fleet that actually 
when the fuel was running short, we didn't need to worry in the same way we did before. We didn't need to invoke the same processes because we had a lot of electric vehicles that could be used as shuttle vehicles or to help carry people around or to do some of the other jobs that were there. We'd got different locations like we'll go and use their vans. They've got some if you need it in your area. So we ended up changing our whole business resilience plan to also factor in that we'd got electric vehicles. Um, that's a, yeah, that's uh, a really strong benefit of um, of again that sort of tight management over everything uh, as well. Now you were you sat on a as a panel member on the transport session at COP twenty six uh, in Glasgow last year. Um, I did. And one of one of the comments you made uh, there, which I found quite interesting, was that you felt range anxiety had gone away because the average range of an EV is now sort of well over two hundred miles uh, and increasing all the time. And you and you felt the that concern had been replaced with one that was uh, more accurately described as maybe charging anxiety uh, and, and the time involved. I guess in you know when you get there, is there going to be someone else parked in the space? Is there a charger available? That kind of thing. So for, I, I was interested in that from a drive a management perspective as any anxiety can lead to sort of a lack of concentration and distraction um so so how how do you manage that sort of charging anxiety is there an issue from driver well-being confidence angle have you have you got enough infrastructure for the vehicles that you've got and how are you dealing with that whole issue that's a lot of questions all in one hit there simon um yes so i think it's interesting isn't it how things evolve over time so we have gone from range anxiety vehicles have improved as you said we've gone into the charge anxiety not only that we're now into a space where there's almost an etiquette that keeps that needs to come in now because there are so many more vehicles charging and you'll get some people that go yeah but there are 90 percent they shouldn't be on the charger anymore so there's almost an, an education piece actually when you get to the 80 percent you can move on because the last 20 percent takes even longer to charge however those people that expect you to move at 80 percent also forget that vans have less miles available to them in the vehicle and that 90% is probably what is absolutely needed for them to finish their job for the day. So there's just a level of understanding that's creeping in as well now. And if I take the car drivers separately from the commercials, we are putting the infrastructure in. We're trying to sort out um, the depot charging for those commercial vehicles. What we're also doing is we're providing some charge point cards and we notify our drivers where their nearest public charge points are that work with that. So we're trying to help them in the same way that we would with an ICE vehicle. You'd tell people if you have a particular fuel card user, you'd to let them know where all the depots were and where their local ones were. If it ever changed hands, you'll let them know what the changes were. So it's again going back to how do you normalize everything that's already in your policies? EVs aren't actually that different. There's some nuances, but a lot of the stuff you put behind it in terms of managing risk, managing that anxiety, dealing with that driver well-being are already there within your existing policies. Might need the odd tweak, but they're pretty much there and it's just reinforcing it again. Yeah. Um, so obviously we've talked a little bit about the EVs, but you have still got a considerable number of conventional petrol and diesel vehicles on fleet so as, as you're working towards your net zero targets are you doing anything about um, trying to educate those drivers to drive those conventional vehicles more fuel efficiently to try so that they can make a contribution to this as well 
Yeah, and we, we always do things like that. So, I mean, for the last five years, we've done all sorts of things in terms of reducing our high risk levels, looking at the low risk levels, increasing compliance. And of course, within compliance and in reducing your accident rates, you're always educating people on driving better. So you're always reminding them that that heavy right foot, that trying to get from A to B as fast as you can, especially in a utility where you do get emergency call outs. So it's just reminding people that actually, if you drive more like this, and what we've also found is they might still be in a nice van, but actually some of these have gone into electric cars. So it's the difference always between the two. And once they've kind of learnt that new style in an EV, some of that actually creeps back into their vehicles when they're driving the ICE vehicles as well. So we're seeing natural transitions, but we still go out, we still remind people, we still have safety briefings. You know, we've trained over 10,000 drivers in road safety over the last five years. We've checked over 50,000 license checks and we're increasing that again in line with, with what's going on. So it's a continuous piece of work that you can't afford to stop doing because you never quite know what's next. We've got all of these fuel concerns going on at the moment. So again, it's just going back and reminding people how to conserve your fuel, that every one mile an hour over affects your MPGs. Yeah. Um, now, driving for better business is primarily about communicating the business benefits of good management practice, whether that's managing sort of vehicles and uh, or, or drivers. And I was wondering whether you're able to quantify some of the reductions that you've achieved so far as, as far as fuel use and, uh, and emissions goes and sort of how quickly you expect those business, those benefits to um, to start ramping up, I guess, as you near your net zero target. Yeah, and, and I think so some of the targets I've put in place to start with were because we were on the start of the journey. So we just did a quick, how many EVs have I got on fleet? So from 1700 cars, we've now got about 700 full EVs on fleet now. So it's a huge number. In fact, I think it was October last year, when for the first time, the number of pure EVs was more than the number of pure ICE cars that I had left on fleet. So we'd actually tipped the balance. Got a bunch of hybrids in the middle, but we we did tip the balance. And in fact, I've only got, I've got less than 400 ICE vehicles now on my car fleet. In terms of the commercials, what we've seen in changes there, it comes back to that point you made on when you're educating the drivers on the fuel and the consumptions and everything else, you are seeing the numbers go down. And again, if I go back to the cars, the personal choice and how we measure some of it, you know, our average MPGs or CO2 per kilometre, sorry, is um, 55 grams now, which is one of the lowest going, especially if you haven't got pure EVs. So not only are we seeing the differences in fuel and economy and emissions, and we're all well on our way to the targets, I'm seeing a reduction in my incidents. Um, I'm seeing the number of things happening and where the fault is all changing as well, all going in the right direction. I think it's just that awareness level. And people are much more conscious now of how they drive. They're in the public eye more of what they do to go about it. They're more conscious that actually if they burn that fuel they are damaging that air quality and air quality has become something that people value now 
Yeah. Now, you, you, you said you'd seen a reduction in incidents. Um, you also mentioned earlier, I think, that uh, less was going wrong with them, so they didn't break down so much. So you're, that leads me to the point where you are uh, obviously got less to spend on damage repairs and you've got less to spend on maintenance uh, costs because hope they're going wrong less. I, I guess that's maybe offset with some of the bits. If it eventually does go wrong, it might be more expensive. But you're, you're seeing some strong financial benefits and, and sort of efficiency benefits within your operational spend on the fleet with this transition to EVs. Yes, and of course you use that at the beginning when you're doing your total cost of ownership. So whilst a lot of people, we've all heard it, there's a, a the upfront cost of these vehicles is more. But actually, if you then use everything you just said there and you factor that in, then your total cost of ownership very often is lower at the moment. Because the other thing that we noticed as well is you can keep these vehicles longer if you chose to do so, um, because there's less to go wrong with them. So you can keep them. The technology on them is there. And so you factor that into that total cost of ownership as well. Right now, personally, I would say it's still a no brainer to go electric vehicles. Excellent. So with that uh, in mind, final question then, what would be uh, your advice to fleet managers who maybe haven't started on this journey yet or they're just starting it now? What would be your advice on where to start with their the risk management side of things with relation to EVs? So I'm often asked this question and you've just tackled it slightly differently because you talked about the risk management piece. Whatever it is, you need to start you need to make sure you educate your drivers and you need to remember that there's an awful lot you've probably already got in place so don't panic about it you've got this stuff there so just go through your own policies again double check what you have and make tweaks to it don't try and reinvent the wheel a lot of this has been done and for anyone that's starting that still doesn't know how to do it there are so many resources out there i mean Highways England have loads of resources in terms of the toolkits for drivers and risk and everything else. So just reach out, take those resources, use them and adapt them into your policies. Fantastic advice. Lorna, I've really enjoyed that discussion. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. You're very welcome. If you manage drivers and their vehicles and you face similar issues to those discussed in this podcast, there are links in the show notes to some useful resources on the Driving for Better Business website, and these are all free to access. If you enjoyed the conversation, please don't forget to hit subscribe so you know when the next episode is released, and please also give us a five-star review as this helps us to get up the podcast rankings and makes it more visible to others who might also find it useful. You can follow us, that's Driving for Better Business, on Twitter, Facebook and LinkedIn. And most importantly, please help us to spread the word. All our resources are free for those who manage fleets and their employees who drive for work. Thank you for listening to Let's Talk Fleet Risk and I look forward to welcoming you to the next episode. Brought to you by Driving for Better Business.